I think I'm going to give us a little bit of a, a mini overview of what I want to do this weekend. And then we'll dive into our first talk um, tonight. But um, we're doing three talks. And the theme that I want to do is just called um, How the Gospel Changes Our Relationships. And uh, what I want to do is talk about, uh, tonight I want to talk about how the, go- the gospel and your functional saviors. I'm going to define that because uh, that's going to be kind of weird. But basically we're talking about idols tonight. Tonight what I'm trying to do is, is to get you to think about something that you're probably not thinking about. And then tomorrow night and Sunday morning, we're going to do the, the gospel and your friends. And then Sunday, we're going to do the gospel and forgiveness. Um, I love alliteration, as you can tell. So functional saviors, uh, friends, and then forgiveness. And so, but tonight, what I want to do is talk about the gospel and functional saviors or idols. And that's where I'm going to kind of do some explaining tonight. And then what I'm hoping is going to happen for you and for me, this, I didn't understand sin and I didn't understand Jesus until I understood what I'm going to talk about tonight. Um, and I really hope, as we kind of talk about it, that that happens for you. Um, but to do that, I want to look at just two verses from the end of um, 1 John. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn, uh, or if you've got an iPhone, um, turn to, uh, to 1 John uh, 5. And it's really, we're looking at the last two verses. It's 1 John 5. Verse uh, tw- verses 20 and 21. And in particular, we're looking at 21 is what I want to dive in, uh, dive into tonight. Um, so let me read that for us. First John 5, verses 20 and 21. Uh, John writes, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And then he says something that's really interesting. And what we're going to unpack tonight in this last verse. He says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Um, now that's interesting. Let me tell you why that's interesting. If you've ever read First John, you know the whole book. He's been talking about basically two things. That the way that you know you love God is that not only have you been born of God, you have a love for him in your heart, but you love your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And what's interesting is he's made that point over and over and over and over again that the very last thing he says is something that seems like, where is this coming from? Keep yourselves from idols. What in the world does that mean? But what I want you to see just from the outset, and I'm going to talk about what I think he means, but what I want you to see from the outset is that clearly in his mind that the thing that's going to most threaten your love for God, this is what I want you to hear from me tonight, the thing that is going to most threaten your love for God and your love for people, especially your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, is what I'm going to call idols of the heart, or what I'm going to call functional saviors. What in the world do I mean by functional saviors? Here's what I mean by functional saviors. Is that you and I, I, I'm assuming that most of us here, if you're here and you're sort of having questions about Jesus, I'm so glad that you're here. And I would love, you're going to, I hope that we get to unpack Jesus in a way that makes him more beautiful than you've ever heard him before. But a lot of you are here, I'm assuming, that you would, if I were to ask you, are you a Christian, do you love Jesus, you would say, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I love Jesus. And what I want you to see is what it means for something to be a functional savior is is if I were to ask you, who is your Lord and Savior? Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? You would say, yeah, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. But what I want you to see tonight is that even though you say Jesus is your Lord and Savior, and even though I say Jesus is my Lord and Savior, that you've got something else that's a Lord and Savior. For some of you, it's a boyfriend or girlfriend. For some of you, it's being accepted by a certain group of students in your school. For some of you, it's graduating with a certain GPA or getting into a certain school. For some of you, it's the approval of your parents. 
for some of you, it's being you know successful. I don't care if it's like track or football or music or video games. I don't, you've got something that you can say with my mouth. I can say with my mouth, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but in my heart, something else is my Lord and Savior. And even though I say Jesus is my Lord and Savior, you know my thoughts? My thoughts aren't always with Jesus. They're with this other thing that's my functional Savior. Okay, So that's what we're talking about. What do I, that's what I mean by that. But here's what I want you to see from this, just thinking about this idea of the gospel and uh, your idols or the gospel and your functional Savior. Three things I want to do tonight. I want to talk about uh, what an idol is, and then I want to talk about uh, how you begin to even identify what your idols are, because you've got them, I've got them, you've got them. And then lastly, what I want to do is, say, is, is, is talk about why Jesus is better than your idols. So what an idol is, what do I even mean by that? Uh, how, how do you know what your idols are? And then lastly, why Jesus is better than your idols. But you know what? I want to pray for us, because we need Jesus' help to even, to even think about this. So let me pray for us, and we're going to jump in. Jesus, we, we thank you for the chance just to be here together and to sing, to sing your praises and to, uh, to sing your promises. Um, Lord, we, especially when we sing uh, one of my favorite hymns, a love that will not let me go, I pray that uh, you would work in us tonight, that you would show us that we're holding on to things that will let us go, that our idols will let us go. But Lord Jesus, you will never let us go and your love will never let us go. And I pray that you would just use our time together tonight to convince me again and to convince my friends again uh, that you are the one that we long for and you are the one that truly loves us. And we pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Um, okay, I want to start with a story. Um, and it's a story that's it's a little bit, it's, it's a heartbreaker for me. We're coming up in Valentine's. And uh, I want to tell you the story of the first uh, girlfriend I ever had. Uh, I was the kid kind of growing up that, um, you know, once I hit high school, I kind of became a Christian in high school in uh, my freshman year. And so I really poured myself into the youth group I was part of. Like, I mean, I loved our youth group leader. Uh, I was kind of a leader within the youth group. I loved my friends. And I didn't really think about girls very much. Um, you know, I mean, like, you know, like, you, you know, I mean, I like girls. Nothing, nothing against girls. But what I mean by that is I never thought about, okay, I need a girlfriend. Until uh, my sophomore year, right toward the end of my sophomore year, my, um, actually, actually my junior year, uh, my best friend got a girlfriend. And it was this, like, they got pretty serious, pretty fast kind of girlfriend. And she was part of the youth group that we were all part of. And so I started thinking, this kind of happens, and maybe it's happened to some of you, like, like, I looked at my friend, and he had a girlfriend. I was like, oh, well, maybe I need a girlfriend, right? Like, he's got a girlfriend. Like, maybe I should, maybe one of her friends, I should date her. And so I kind of locked into one of my best friend's girlfriend's friends. And I mean, I locked in fast. So coming, this is like the end of uh, the summer after my junior year, we got a youth group together, and I'm crushing pretty hard on her. She's not my wife, by the way. This is a sad story. Um, <laughs> Although it's a beautiful story about the way Jesus has loved me well. But uh, so I'm crushing really hard, and we go on a couple dates. And here's what I want you to see, because this is a story about how this girl became an idol for me. Now, I should have known it off the bat, and here's why I should have known it, is literally we had gone out twice. This is not exaggeration. This is a true story. We had gone out, I think, two times. And, like, not, nothing, like, super romantic. Like, I think we went to Applebee's one night, which is just sad in and of itself. And then we went to, like, a baseball game. And, uh, and then I literally remember and I was picking her up for the third date and I decided before I went that I was going to get a card and I was going to pour my heart out to her in that card. And literally as I was writing it, this remind you, put, girls, put yourself in this situation. 
because uh, there's going to be a crazy factor here. I'm writing, and I'm like, really, I'm an emotional kind of guy, and I'm thinking, oh, man, this girl, I'm, she's so amazing. And I, I wrote, uh, you know, a nice little, I had so much fun, and then I wrote those three little words, and I love you. Yeah, yeah, let's just embrace, <laughs> let's embrace how awkward this is, because, so here we are, we're in the car, and she opens it, and watching her try to process it was a thing, so clearly we, that was the moment we stopped dating for that summer, and then we started dating again my senior year, it's a longer story that I'm not going to go into, but what I want you to see is that what, what happened, um, and especially as that awkward moment where I should have known, I over-desire this relationship, like who says I love you in the third date, me, because I had an idol of romantic love, and a lot of you do. We're going to talk about that. But then when we went back for round two, when we really dated for about almost two years, I can remember there was a moment where I literally said, I, was, I remember I was standing on the porch of her house, and we were getting ready to go in after we had gotten from him from dinner. And I remember saying in my heart, because this is what we're talking about, idols of the heart. And I can remember saying in my heart, God, you can do anything you want with me, but you, can't, you cannot take her. I'm going to marry her, and you cannot touch that. And I should have known that at that moment, she had become an idol. Now, let's get into what I want to talk about. So what, it, what is an idol? Um, there are three kind of things I want to talk about when, I, when you think about what is an idol or a functional savior. Um, and what I want you to see from the end, when John says keep yourself from idols, he is not talking about what you and I sometimes think, which is he's not picturing them in their rooms with these tiny little statues, right? Like, in that sense, none of us have idols. Like, if I were to go into your room... I highly doubt that I'm going to find like a tiny little statue that you like pull out from your covers and you're like bowing down to it. <laughs> Probably not going to happen for any of y'all. But what if I were to look into your heart? Ah, that's a different story. Because there are things in your heart that you turn to and you look to and that you put your trust in. Um, and this is the first thing I want you to see about what an idol is. There are kind of three marks I want, I want to give you. The first one is this. That an idol is something that has a hold on your heart. An idol is something that has a hold, it has a grasp, it has a grip on your heart. Um, I love uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I sadly haven't seen The Hobbit yet, um, which I've heard mixed reviews, but I love Smeagol. Smeagol is my, one of my all-time favorite characters in any story. And, it's, and what I want you to see is this, kind of, an idol is kind of like Smeagol's precious. Smeagol, has, Smeagol longs for the precious. And in some ways, Smeagol, Smeagol became Smeagol because he so worshipped the ring and what the ring meant and the power of the ring. And what's interesting is if you watch the Lord of the Rings trilogies, what I love about his character is that if you watch him, when Smeagol has the ring or he thinks he's coming near to having the ring, he's so happy. Like, he is thrilled. But when Smeagol doesn't have the ring or when the, when the ring goes, you know, when Frodo is very firm with him, he gets very angry and very sad. And that's what an idol does. Something that has a hold in your heart. So when you have it, you're so happy. You're like, you're like dancing like, yeah, life is great. And when you don't have it, you like sleep till two. I mean, some of you probably do that anyways, but you like over, however long you normally sleep, you add six hours to it. Or like you stay home on Friday night and like, you know, you're like listening to Boney Bear and crying. Or I don't know what you do, but you, like, it makes you very sad or it makes you very mad. Because it's got, why? Because it's got a hold on your heart. So the first thing, and this is what the way uh, Luther said it. I love the way Martin Luther said it. Listen to what he said. This is worth writing down. He said that, how do you know what an idol is? Here's what he said. He said, that upon which you set your heart and put your trust is properly called your God. That upon which you set your heart and put your trust is properly called your God. So the question for you and me is, is God your God or is something else your God? 
And if you and I are being honest, something else is often our God. Luther was writing that actually about the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And the reality is we do have gods before him. We have all kinds of gods before him. So the first thing, something that has a hold in your heart. The second is something from which you draw value and meaning. In other words, it has a hold in your heart because you think it gives your life, it gives you value and meaning. It makes you an important person. You know, I mean, I love to help. You, you know, I love when Viola Davis does the, you as kind, you as smart, you as important. Like, that melts me. Like, literally all I want in my life is for Viola Davis to hold me and tell me that. Just once in my life to tell me that I am kind and smart and important. But what an idol does, that's what an idol does. It's something that says to you, I don't know about the kind, but that you are important. And you're not important if you don't have me. If you have me, your life has meaning and purpose. If you don't have me, your life it does not have meaning and purpose. So it's something from which you draw. It's like, kind of like a vampire, like sucking the blood. It's something from which you draw life and meaning from. Um, and here's the third thing. is this, is something that uh, has a hold in your heart. It's something from which you draw uh, value and meaning in life. And the third thing, this is the tricky thing. And this is what I really want you to get because this is why this is so important. Is it something that's, that sometimes is good that becomes ultimate? In other words, another way of saying that that's not as awkward is it's, that oftentimes idols can be good things that become ultimate things. In other words, they're good things, they're gifts of God, but they actually replace God. That we, that we actually turn these good things into God. Um, and I think this is what, you know, when I told you the story about my girlfriend, that's exactly what I did. Romantic love. It's a good thing. Like God, God, you know, like Song of Solomon is in the Bible. If you ever, you know, like songs, I wouldn't want to read Song of Solomon with my parents ever. Like never. If you've ever read, I mean, like just no, I don't want to do that. But it's clear that God delights in romantic love. Absolutely. But it's not God. It's not Jesus. It's a gift. It's a good thing, but it can't be an ultimate thing. Or let's just think about. Yeah, I don't know what it is for you, but let's just, I'm just doing two common ones in my students. Another one for my students and what I see in high school students is, uh, is this idea of GPA or you know, getting into the right schools. Like, that's a good thing. Like, making good grades, that's a good thing. You should try your best to glorify God, but it's not the ultimate thing. It, it's not God. It's not Jesus. Um, so that's a little bit about what an idol is. I love the way that Tim Keller says it. This is, again, worth listening to and writing down if you were picking notes. I'll read it slowly. Here's what he says. Sin isn't only doing bad things. It is more fundamentally making good things into ultimate things. That is huge. Sin is not only doing bad things. Like a lot of you, you think about sin and it's a list. You don't drink. You don't cuss. You don't have sex. You don't, you, I don't know what your list is. But I'm, and I'm not saying that the Bible doesn't speak to those things, but I am saying if that's your only understanding of sin, you don't understand sin. Because that's not the Pharisees. If you've ever read the Gospels, like the Pharisees didn't do any bad things, but they turned a lot of good things into ultimate things, which is why they hated Jesus, because Jesus, they didn't understand sin. So let's say, sin isn't only doing bad things, it is more fundamentally making good things into ultimate things. Sin, this is, a great, this is a great line, sin is building your life and meaning on anything, even a very good thing, more than on God. Sin is primarily idolatry. 
I love that idea. It's what, and that's a great question. What are you building your life on? What are you building your life around? And is it God? Is it Jesus? All right, so first, that's what an idol is. But now think with me for a second. So now hopefully you're thinking, okay, my, my, my point or point one is trying to convince you, you've got them. I've got them. You've got them. You have idols that you bow down to in your life that are not Jesus, right? Okay, so now hopefully you're thinking, okay, well, what is that for me? How can I begin to know? Maybe some, for some of you it's very clear, okay, this is definitely an idol in my life. But maybe some of you are like, okay, I have them, but I'm not exactly sure what they are. So this is the second point I want you to see is how in the world do you begin to identify what those idols are? And I actually think, um, I actually think there are kind of three tests to identify. But let me first say something that I think is really important about why I think this is so important. Let me play a little bit. I don't know what school you go to. Um, you know, I know some of you probably go to Lexington High. Some of you go, some of you are homeschooled. I don't know. But let me play, let me play, parent. if you're homeschooled, let me play your parent for a second. If you go to Lexington High or wherever, let me play guidance counselor for a second. And here's what I want to say. Identifying your idols is so much more important than your SAT score, than your GPA, or than your extracurricular activities, or than your applications. I know some of you are seniors, you're like thinking about this. Some of you are like freshmen, you're like, well, what is he talking about? You'll get, you, know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. Like you're in high school to go to college, typically. So here's what I want you to see. This is so much more important. Let me tell you why. I do campus ministry. I've done it for seven years. Every year, without fail, I get, I get an email from several parents that say, will you please check on Susie Q and Johnny, Johnny Q, let's call them their brother. I don't know who, they're not, yeah, <laughs> Susie and Johnny. Just check on my kids, will you? And will you take care of my kids? And sometimes it's like, this is part of why I love doing campus ministry is I love doing that. I love trying to, sometimes it's very awkward. And sometimes like, why does this 32-year-old want to hang out with me? That's always fun and makes me feel loved. But then sometimes it's like there's a connection and they are like, I want to get involved. But here's what I want you to see. So many times parents are afraid of their kids going to college because they think college is going to change them. And that is wrong. Because here's the reality of college. I've done it for seven years. I, I, I went to college. College doesn't change what you worship. College reveals what you worship. It doesn't change it. It reveals it. So... If you're the kid who, like, here's a, the biggest difference probably between high school and college. In high school, it's kind of still okay to go, like, to be part of a youth group. Like, it can actually be, like, in my high school, it's considered cool. And so here was the problem in my high school. If youth group was cool, then a lot of us were there because it was cool. But you know what we were worshiping? Being popular. We were worshiping being approved of. We were worshiping thinking people, people thinking we were cool. Who of us doesn't want for people to think we're cool? Like, we all want that. Let's be honest. I mean, like, we all, like, none of us is like, man, I'm cool with not being cool. You're just lying. Like, all of us have this desire for everyone in our high school to look at us and be like, man, that guy is so cool. Or that girl is so cool. And if that's what we're worshiping, how do you think that's going to translate in college? Do you think it's cool for my students to go to RUF? Let me just tell you, no, it's not. There's a lot of other things that are cool that have nothing to do with Jesus. You take your wild guess of what that is. But so what happens is if you're doing this because you want to be cool or it is cool, then that's not going to work in college. But if you're doing this because you love Jesus and you're actually willing to follow Jesus when it's not cool, then you got a shot, right? Um, all right, so here, but so what is it for you? What is your idol? Three kind of ways, I think, to identify it. And I want to say three kind of tests. That's how we're going to do it. 
Uh, here's the first, and it's just a fill-in-the-blank test. And these, by the way, uh, John asked me to do some questions. These are the questions if you're a leader. You can, like, each of these tests is a question that I want you to do. It's the most helpful thing to do in your discussion groups. Um, I mean, we're still doing that? Okay. So if you're a leader, take notes on this. Um, That sounded really bossy. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it bossy. I just meant these are the questions. Uh, So the first, here's the first test. It's a fill-in-the-blank test. And here it is. You ready? I can only be happy. I can only be fulfilled if or when I have blank. I can only be happy and fulfilled if and when I have you fill in the blank. That's the first one. Here's the second one. It's pretty simple. I call this one the drift test. So imagine you go home tonight. Uh, well, I guess tonight's going to work. Imagine you go home to Monday night. You're at home. You're in your room. You're by yourself. You're going to bed. Where does your mind, this is the question, where does your mind naturally drift when you're not thinking about anything? And where your mind mindless, where your thoughts mindlessly go is often such a telling thing of what an, what an idol is in your life. Why? Because that's naturally what you're drawn to. It's naturally what you love to think about. And here's the last one. This one's a little trickier. It's what I call, you have to identify both near idols and far idols in your life. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. A near idol is something you can see. So when I shared with you my story, it's very clear that my girlfriend was a near idol. It was clear that I could see it. So near idols can be things like boyfriend, girlfriend, friend group. It can be things like food, drink. Any kind of substance can be a near idol. Uh, It can be, you know, again, the career thing, the GPA thing, the getting to a good school thing, the being successful at you fill in the blank thing. That's a near idol. But you've got to follow your near idols back to what, the, what we're talking about, what I want to call your far idols. All right, track with me for a second. What is a far idol? A far idol is something you can't see. It's something that's, that's not um, real, that no one can really see, that's going on in your heart. And I think there are four typical far idols that actually drive our desire for what I want to call near idols. Track with me for a second. There are, I think, four common that everyone has. Like, if you're not, okay, if I'm talking about near, near idols, and you're like, I have no idea what mine is, let's trace it back to some far idols because you've got one. There are four that are typical of, of us as sinners. Here's the first. First is approval, and this is so mine, that you live and die based on whether people like you or not. I can remember my senior year. I graduated. It was the summer after my senior year before college. And for the first time in my life, it was through playing summer basketball. There was a guy who was a, he was going to be a junior in my high school, younger than me, but he kind of came out that he hated me. And he hated me because he thought I was like the goody two-shoes Christian. And I want to tell you, it killed me because I had never, I had never to that point, because I thrive in people liking me. Like, talk about that idea, the Smeagol thing, I'm happy when I have it, I'm crushed when I don't. When I find out someone doesn't like me, it kills me. Kills me. Why? Because approval is one of my far idols. I live or die by it. Um, here's another one. Another one is um, is comfort. Is is the idea of you live or die based on am I having comfort? You're terrified of stepping out of your comfort zone. You know, this is for those of us who love sleep. 
really, I could say like all of these except maybe one are mine. You love food. You love sleep. Oh, God, I love food. Why do I love food? Because I love comfort. I love to feel good. Why do I, I lo- like, I love sleep. The hardest part of having four kids is I can't sleep like I used to. Like, I'm telling you, I could sleep like a champ. Like, I could sleep entire days. And I would feel guilty, and then I would sleep two more days. <laughs> I would sleep more days. Why can I sleep? Why do I love to eat? Because I have a comfort idol. Again, those are good things, right? Like, <laughs> you know, sleep is a great thing. Food is a great thing. But that's the idea back to good things becoming ultimate things. What do I do when I'm depressed? Do I go to Jesus or do I go to Wendy's? <laughs> I go to Wendy's a lot. Not that Wendy's is bad, but you see what I'm saying? Like, it's a problem when I just go to Wendy's and I don't go to Jesus. Um, all right, so approval, comfort. Here are two more really quickly. Power. You love, you love, like, if you do group projects, like, you love, you eat it up. You love being a leader. Like, you just love, you, you, you have a planner. You know, you love to tell people what to do. You're, you were the captain on your team. You love power. Here's the last one, uh, control. Uh, you love to be in control. You hate anything that feels risky. This is why some of you really are suck at friendship. We're going to talk about this. But we all do. But a lot of you particularly do because you have a control idol. And either your friends feel really controlled by you or you just isolate yourself because you can't control what happens in friendship. Um, so those are four typical. So this is when I say these are the questions I want you to ask, these are the things I want you to ask around. What is it that you fill in the blank with that, I'm, that I'm not, I can't be happy or, or fulfilled unless I have blank? Where is it that your mind naturally drifts to? And then the last one, what do you think? This is probably the most important one I think could be really helpful in your group talk is what are your near and far idols? Um, all right, here's the last thing I want you to see, and we'll do this um, pretty quickly, this last point. But I want you to see, because this is, because here's the, what I want to convince you of is that point one, you've got idols. Point two, you've got to be thinking about what those are. But point three, the only way you're ever going to, an idol is ever going to be dethroned on your heart is when you begin to see that Jesus is better. That Jesus is better than your boyfriend or girlfriend. That Jesus is better than that friend group. That Jesus is better even than your family. That Jesus is better than food. Jesus is better than, Jesus is better than, you know, for my Pride and Prejudice people, Jesus is the true and better Mr. Darcy. Like, Jesus is the one you really are. This is not what Christian girls do. Like, you're boy crazy, but in a Christian. I just had to have a conversation with one of my girls. And I lovingly had to say, I love you, but you were a Christian boy crazy. And she was like, what does that mean? And I was like, you're not the girl that's going to go crazy with guys, but you are the girl who's got pride and prejudice, idolatry all over you. And that's a lot of you. Or some of you. I don't know. Guys, it's different. It can be you, though. That was me. That's why I did the whole girl thing. Um... But why is Jesus better? Jesus is better than you fill in the blank. Whatever it is for you, your GPA, your school you get into, Jesus is better. Two reasons. He's the only one who will never fail you. Please hear me say that. Jesus is the only one who will never fail you. Your parents will fail you. They have. Your friends will fail you. They have. Your team will fail you. It has. Wendy's will fail you. Sometimes they run out of Frosties. <laughs> they do. It's happened. Whatever your idol is, it will fail you. But guess who will never fail you? Jesus. 
Um, I love uh, what we sang. We sang, Oh, Love That Will Not Let Me Go. Do you know the story behind that song? It's an incredible story. Okay, so the guy that wrote it, um, so here's his basic story. He was this brilliant guy. He had, he was in a school to, to, he was working on his PhD. He was like one of the smartest guys kind of in in his church and in kind of his church area. Uh, Brilliant. He was engaged to be married. Uh, had this this beautiful girl that he was engaged to be married to, and he he found out from the doctor that he was going blind. And literally within about a year, he went blind, and that meant he had to stop his studies because when you're, for, I think that's obvious. Um, you know, this is, we don't. He didn't have braille, right? He lived in a different time. Um, and when he when his fiance found out he was going blind, she broke up with him. God, isn't that the worst? Like, that has got to be the worst breakup ever. Why are you, I mean, like, she probably pulled the God card. Like, God's calling me to not marry you. <laughs> because you're blind, right? Uh, so, literally, like I said, here's the story. So, this is happening. And then it gets worse. It gets way worse. So, then, not only did he, does he lose his studies, so he's not going to be the professor he wants to be, and he loses his fiance. But then, this is, like, the, the, one of the sadder parts of the story. So, his sister became his caretaker, well, then somehow, I don't know the full story, but somehow it's the day of his sister's wedding. And somehow, I don't know if it was just impractical, but he literally, the whole family went to her wedding and they left him behind in the house. True story. So here he is. He's lost his career. He's lost his fiance. And now he's sitting at home alone while his sister's getting married. And you know what he did? Within an hour, he wrote that song. Because Jesus is the only, his, his career let him go. His university let him go. His fiance had let him go. His family had let him go for that day at least. You know who will never let him go and didn't let him go? Jesus. Jesus is the only one who will never fail you. But this is the second thing. You've got to see this. this. is why Jesus is better than your idols. Is that Jesus is the only one who truly loves you. Jesus is the only one who truly loves you. I love another thing that John wrote in 1 John. And you know it probably. If you ever memorize scripture, it's 1 John 4.10 when he said, not, It's not that we loved God. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, which is talking about the cross where Jesus died for us, to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, here's the thing. How do you know that Jesus loves you? You know he loves you because he died for you. And here's what you see. Your boyfriend has never died for you. Your girlfriend has never died for you. Your friends have never died for you. Your GPA is never going to die for you. Your school is never going to die for you. You know who has died for you? Jesus. Why? Because he loves you. Like, like he really does. Like he really does love you. Um, I'll close with this. There's a a movie that I, in the recent years I've liked a lot called Five Hundred Days of Summer, and uh, it's got um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Zoe Deschanel, who are two of my favorites, and. Um, there's a scene, the, the, the whole movie is kind of about the romantic love thing, and uh, it's just it's kind of a fun movie. But there's a scene that I love where they're interviewing uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character's friends. And there's a scene where they're asking this one guy about his dream girl. And he's talking about, he's got a girlfriend named Robin, and he's talking about his, this perfect girl. And he just begins describing her, he's like, you know, she would have a perfect body, and she would be, like, really into football, and, like, she would always want to, like, cook for me. And he's, like, going on and on about his perfect girl. And then he stops, and it's, I love this scene in the movie. He stops, and he says, but Robin is better. 
his real girlfriend. He says, but Robin is better. You know why? Because she's real. And I love that, and this is what I want you to see, is that Jesus is better because Jesus is real. Your idols aren't, but Jesus is. And he really does love you. And he loves you so much, in fact, that he's not gonna, he, that he's going to lovingly be with you and begin to tear down. He's going to begin to point out what your idols are, and he's begin to he's going to begin to lovingly strip those away because he loves you too much to let you love anything other than him. So let's pray. Jesus, we um, we thank you for this time. I pray that um, that you would take this time and that you would I pray that you you would bless our. Um, conversations and just bless our time in, in our small groups as we talk about just this idea. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would be working where we pray that, and we pray with David, that you would show us um, the sinfulness of our hearts, that you would show it, that you would search us, show us if there's way that's, uh, any, any offensive way in us, show us what our idols are. And Lord, we thank you that you are a God that loves sinners, that you are a God who, who loves idolaters. And Lord Jesus, but you love us so much, you're calling us to repent, you're calling us to find our life and our joy in our everything in you. And I pray, Lord, you just be gracious as we go from here to continue to wrestle with these things. We pray these things in your name, Lord Christ. Amen.